Let's pray. Lord, the reason why we study your word is because it's what is true and what is real and what reality is. Um, the ideas that we have in our heads about you, about other people, about ourselves, that's fiction. What is true is what you reveal yourself about you and us. Father, you, to be a citizen of your kingdom, Lord, is you take us from the realm of fantasy and you make us into people of reality, and that's what you are doing. And Father, you are doing that work here, we confess, and we ask you, Lord, and, you, and we recognize you are doing that work through primarily through the preaching of your word. So I pray, Lord, that as we, as we are underneath your word this morning again, rescue us out of the realm of fantasy and, and darkness, and make us into a people of reality and light. All these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we are continuing our study on the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. And um, I think the reason why, I just before you know, we begin today's scripture, uh, sermon, um, I want to share why we're studying the Beatitudes. Um, and we're studying the Beatitudes because this is what Jesus describes what a Christian is. And we, this is very important, right? Because we spend our entire life thinking what a Christian is. And the more we look at the word, the more we look at Jesus' sermon, and the more we compare our lives, at least for me, I realized my old notion of what a Christian, what a Christian is, is wrong, was wrong. I see, I was raised in the church, much like a lot of you, and I've, I've just, you know, I've just, I've been a spectator, right? We're all spectators. We, we, we've been taught things without really thinking things through, without really comparing what we listen to is really what God says is true. And therefore, throughout this entire life, we built in our heads an idea of what a Christian is that is, not, that is oftentimes quite contrary to Jesus' definition of what, it, what his people are. And so that's the purpose of the Beatitude, is to reveal to you over and over and over again what a Christian is, what a Christian should look like, Right? And so today's scripture, Jesus talks about being hungry and thirst for righteousness. And he is talking about being hungry and thirst for righteousness because Jesus is saying it is only those people who hunger and thirst for righteousness, it is only these people who can be deeply satisfied. Jesus teaches us today the way to be satisfied, the way to be spiritually fulfilled, the way to be spiritually full. And he talks about this because Jesus knows the human condition. And the human condition is all of us are not satisfied. All of us are longing for something. I think that's true. It's rare that someone's actually satisfied with what they are and where they are. That satisfaction may last for a day or two. And then after we get what we want, we go on to the next hunger. We are people who are perpetually longing, perpetually hungry, perpetually dissatisfied. And you can see this in a macroscopic scale in terms of the entire world, and you can see this at a microscopic scale in your personal life. Let's talk about the longings that is happening in the world. You don't have to look far of the longing of the world. Just, just, just turn on CNN, Fox News, wherever. Turn on the news. And you will see half of this country hates the way this country is right now. They cannot wait until 2020. Because think, half of this country thinks the world, this, world, this society right now is so horrible and disjointed and unjust, mainly because of one man. They cannot wait for a new world. They cannot wait to 2020. They're longing for a new world. You can see that in the riots of Hong Kong. Have you heard the riots of Hong Kong this week? I, I, I didn't know. I thought Hong Kong people were all happy and stuff because they live in a magnificent city. But no, they were rioting this week. It got so bad that cops in Hong Kong, I didn't know they had co cops in Hong Kong, they shot like, like tear gas and, and like, like rubber bullet guns. I heard those hurt. 
people can get hospitalized. It gotten so bad that the cops start open, like start hitting people with rubber bullet gun, like rubber bullets. Why? Why are they rioting? Because they're dissatisfied with mainland China, right? There's a law that there's a law that the Hong Kong Parliament or whoever the governing bodies of Hong Kong is trying to trying to pass, and according to that law, if you commit law in Hong Kong, or if you commit crime in China and comes to Hong Kong, and flee to Hong Kong, the Hong Kong police have to natch, just like have to hand you over to the authorities in China. And because the citizens of Hong Kong hate the way mainland China is, they're rioting. They say, we don't want that life. We don't want to be associated with mainland China like that. So they're longing. The whole world is longing. The whole world is longing for a new world. Not just the whole world, but you too. All of us here are longing. Let's be honest. Isn't there something that you're hungry for this morning? Maybe some of you are hungry for a better a job or any job or a new job or a better job. And that hunger is very, very real. To the point where if you don't get this thing, this job, new job opportunities or something, you get seriously depressed because that hunger is very real. Some of you this morning are hungry for a boyfriend or girlfriend. And, you can, and that, that hunger pang, the pang of loneliness, this pang of incompleteness visits you every day. And you feel it. Some of you want to be more beautiful, have a hunger for beauty. Some of you are hungry to lose weight. Not that you need to. You're beautiful just the way you are. Some of you are hungry to buy a home because all your other friends bought a home and you think because you're married, you've got to buy a home. And you're hungry, to be, you're, you're hungry to buy a home. Whatever it is, when you're listening to me here right now, there's hunger that you have inside of you. But the reality of the human condition is even if you get what you're hungry for, let's be honest, you're going to be hungry for something else. That's simply true. It is a human condition to be unsatisfied, to be dissatisfied, to be hungry and thirsty for something. But also the tragedy of the human condition is even though we're so hungry for these things, We don't recognize the true hunger. Even if, even if we're so hungry, and even if we pour, pour out this, even if we try to fill this hunger with the things of this world, the tragedy of the human condition is we become more hungry. The things of this world are like, the, are like Chinese food, right? You eat Chinese food, right? And two, two hours later, you're hungry again. It's a cliche, but it's true. The more you consume the things of the world, the more hungry you become. It's strange, isn't it? In your head, you think, if I just have this, have this person, then you'll be filled. But that's not true. You become more hungry. That's, a sad, that's the tragedy of the human condition. You are born hungry, right? When you wait, like that's, that's the Korean way the babies in Korea cry. I don't know how the baby, like white babies cry. Okay, thanks, John. Thanks for the thanks for the frame of reference. Right? You born you cry because you're hungry, right? And you're scared and you're cold. You're born hungry, right? And thirsty. But you know what? When you die, I want to. I don't want. I don't want to like be all bummer and stuff. You die hungry too. Look, like my parents are elderly now, and a lot of the people that I looked up to, their friends, they're passing away. They're, my uncle, aunts and uncles are passing. My, my, two, one, my, my, brother, my dad's brother passed away. My dad's aunt passed away. My aunt and uncle passed away. People, are start, the thing, people that I looked up to when I was a kid, they're starting to die. And you know what I notice when they die? No one rarely dies satisfactorily. No one says, oh, I've achieved everything I want in my life. I want nothing more, and I die. No one dies like that. People die hungry and thirsty. They have broken relationships. They have unrealized dream. Their kids are a mess. They die hungry. You're born hungry, and you die hungry. That's the profound thought that I had yesterday. Very uplifting sermon, by the way. 
And there's nothing that you can do to here. There's nothing that you can possess here that can satisfy your hunger. It's true. And you see this everywhere. Like, for example, I'll give you the example of the Beatles, right? The Beatles. You know the Beatles, right? You're young enough to know the Beatles. I saw a documentary about the Beatles, right? And when in their mid-20s, they became super popular, super wealthy, super fast. And when they realized, when they suddenly got all this wealth and power and fame, they quickly realized that there's nothing behind these things. They realize as soon as they got the power, money, and fame, they realize behind power, money, and fame lies nothing. So that's why they quickly turned to Hinduism. Because they realized what they gained through the popularity was nothing. So they turned to spirituality. That's why the Beatles from their second or third album on become really psychedelic and funky. Because they pursued spiritual things. Because they realized the material things that all of us hunger for means nothing. I was reading an article about, about the gospel co- in the Gospel Coalition, and this woman was talking about, I think she's in her, in her 40s or 50s, and the title of the article, I think, was like, eight things, to te- eight things I will tell my younger self about sex. And this is the, one of the things that she wrote. She said, when I, because she was an unbeliever when she was younger. She wasn't a believer. And she says, when I was, a young, when I was you know, an unbeliever, I thought having sex with boyfriends or whatever will, will, will satisfy my yearning for intimacy and closeness. And she said, sometimes I came close. Sometimes when I met a boy and had sex with him, I I felt emotionally close with him. But that closeness, she says, never lasted. That the sense of security that she felt when she was sleeping with the boy, that never lasted. And yet she became hungry for even more intimacy. I mean, it's such a common example of how the emptiness of the things of the world is cliche, right? It's such cliche, but it's true. Nothing in this world really could satisfy who you are, what you're longing for. Look, and I, and I observe this personally. My dad was, will be, is the most powerful man that I'll ever know, personally. And my older brother is the richest guy that I'll ever personally know. No one will be more powerful in my life than my dad, and no one will be more wealthy than my older brother. And I have a front, and I work for, a, I work for firms and companies that's, that's most prominent and successful and rich. And I have a front-eye view of what power is, what wealth is, what, is what, 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 what popularity is, right? I have a front-eye view. And I'm here to say, as the first line of spectator, as the guy who's sitting right up there observing the things of the world, I can tell you, there's, there's nothing behind it. Power doesn't satisfy my dad. Wealth certainly doesn't satisfy my brother. Working for prominent law firms and companies certainly don't satisfy that. Right, John? It does, it, the thing that you're hungry for right now it's not going to give you what you think it's going to give you. It won't. It's cliche, but it's true. Children, will children satisfy your hunger? Parents, you have children, right? You want nothing else in this world because you have kids? Really? Nothing. Jesus knows the, sat- the condition of humanity. That is why he's talking about satisfaction today then why are we so hungry? We're hungry because we're not what we're made to be. We're hungry because we're not what we're made to be. Last week after service, sorry I dipped out early last week's service because I had to have lunch with Alex Kang. Alex Kang was a guy who used to lead Praise with Hope when I first started. And he went on an Asian tour, Asian MIA. He went to, he went to Asia and he went MIA for like four years or something. And he came back and I had lunch with him. So I said, Alex, what have you been doing? He's been going in, he, he lived in Korea, he lived in Vietnam. And the last couple of years, Alex had a, like, had a contract agreement with like, a food developer in Vietnam. And so for two years, he went through the various parts of Vietnam trying out different cuisines, right? That's what Alex did. Well, man, what a life. He didn't get stuck in the, I'm going to teach English in the, that black hole. When you go to Korea, teach English, it's so good that you kind of 
go into the black hole. He got out of that black hole. Go, Good for you, Alex. So two years, he went through Vietnam, various country, towns in Vietnam, getting food poisoning and stuff, right? And, and, and tasting the cuisine. And so where did I take Vietnam Alex? I took him to my favorite full place, right? I said, this is really good, because this is the best full place, I think, in this area. I'm not going to tell you which one, right? But I like it. I thought that was the best full ever, right? So I, I was all proud, and I took, it, took Alex there. And I ordered appetizer, and I ordered whatever, I ordered the dish that he wanted. He ate, like, and I spent a lot of money, right? Like, a couple of, like, like, how do you, how do you, chopstickfuls of noodles? And he goes, I can't eat this. I go, what the? He's dissatisfied with it. I go, why are you dissatisfied? And this is his word. And this, like, remained with me throughout the week. He says, I know what this noodle is supposed to be. Because I've been to the place where this noodle was born. And this noodle is not what it's supposed to be. The ingredients they use, it's not the ingredients they should be using. Alex, you know, made me waste money, right? Because he was dissatisfied. He was dissatisfied because he knew what it was supposed to be. We are hungry because in our spirits, we know what we're supposed to be, but we're not. Even though we're not consciously of what we're supposed to be, Internally, in the back of our spirits, we know what we're supposed to be. And what are we supposed to be? We're supposed to be worshipers of God. That's what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to commune with God. We're designed to commune and live in a community with God. How do we know? Because we are made in the image of God and God is the Trinity. In the Godhead, there is eternal community between Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And when we're made in His image, we are called to be part of that community. We are designed to be, because we're made in the image of God, we are designed to commune with God. When we don't commune with Him, we become hungry. I don't know whether you experience this or not, but when I do prayers right on my own, the reason I pray so late at night when everyone's asleep is because I, I scream when I pray. And the reason, and when I pray right, in the moment of prayer when I'm intimately communing with Jesus and the Holy Spirit, I can honestly tell you in that very moment when I pray, I, won't, I don't want anything else in this world. I don't want to be anywhere I want to be. I don't want anything. I am deeply satisfied when I'm communing with the Holy Spirit through prayer. Have you experienced that kind of prayer? Remember prayers and praying that a couple of weeks ago, a couple of months ago? It was great. It was great because we were communing with God together as a body. And in, the, in, in those moments when the prayers were going right in, at, at, that, at that meeting, you know that you don't want to be anywhere else. We're designed to commune with God. And because we don't, we're hungry. And nothing can satisfy Nothing can replace God because we're not designed to commune with anything else. As much as I love talking with my wife, one of the best things in, my, in the world for me to do is to lie down, my, I, I, I lie down on my sofa and my wife sits next to me and we just talk. And I love communing with her, but I love her so. But even that relationship compared to the commune, the, the commune that I have with God it's not satisfying as much as my communion with God. Not only are we designed to commune with God, we are designed to worship God. Like all creation, we are, we are designed to worship Him. And when we worship Him, we find satisfaction. We are dissatisfied, we are hungry, because we're not what we're designed to be. Commune with God, worship Him. Right? The great St. Augustine says, Lord, our hearts are restless until we find our rest in you. Oh, what great words. We will, we will never find rest, Augustine says, unless we know how to rest in you. 
Pascal, the great philosopher, I think he's the first, like, guy, he's the first guy who kind of developed a calculator, a brilliant mathematician. You guys know the Pascal theorem in math? You guys study that, right? What's Pascal's theorem? A squared plus B squared equals C squared? I don't know. Pa okay, Sean. <laughs> okay, Pascal, unit of pressure, according to our engineer. Sean's an MVP today, right? There's math theories made after him, right, that we learned today. There's a computer, whatever. He developed the first early calculator. He was a brilliant man, but he had a religious, he met Jesus. And this is what he says. He says, all of us have a God-shaped hole in our hearts, and nothing and no one but God can fill it. He's a pretty smart guy. He, we, he made a math theorem. If a guy who made a math theorem can say there's a whole God-shaped hole in our hearts, I think it's, it, we have to listen to it. C.S. Lewis says, all of, our, all of us are dissatisfied with, nothing in this world can truly satisfy us, and our dissatisfaction is evidence that we're made for an, another world. The fact that nothing in this world can satisfy you, C.S. Lewis says, is the very evidence that you're made for another world. You're not made for the things of the world. You're made for God. And unless you have him, You'll always be hungry. Why are we hungry? Because we don't have him. We don't have him because our fellowship with him is broken. And why is it broken? Sin, pride, rebellion. That's why it's broken. To recover our relationship with God, God needs to deal with our sins. Right? And when God deals with our sins, we become happy and blessed. Blessed. Look, we're, talking, we're studying the Beatitudes, right? Beatitudes is, what are the first three Beatitudes we talked about? They all have to do with sin. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Why are you poor in spirit? Because you know that you're a sinner, and compared to God, you don't deserve his kingdom. Blessed are those who mourn. Mourn over what? Sin. Blessed are those who are meek. Why are you meek? Why do you think more of God and less of yourself? Because you know you're a sinner, but God is holy. The first three beatitudes that Jesus talks about, he's talking about sin. Jesus is saying the only way that you will be blessed is if the sin thing has, has to be resolved. Blessed are those who are, who, 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 are, who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. If you're poor in spirit, you know that God will forgive you. And because God forgives you, you're part of his kingdom and you're satisfied. Blessed are those who mourn, they will be comforted. You are mourning over your sin, but you are comforted because you know God will forgive you. Right? That's why Jesus emphasizes sin, because it is only through the res resolution of sin that you become happy and blessed. Jesus never talks about him being your best friend here. Jesus doesn't talk about him making you wealthy here. Jesus talk, doesn't talk about that at all. He talks about sin and, he, and, and, and the fact that your, your sin needs to be resolved in order for you to have God, in order for you to be happy and blessed. Jesus' priority is dealing with your sin and my sin so that we can be happy and blessed. The road to happy and blessed is not material gain. It's not marrying the man of your dreams. It's nothing in this world. The secret of being blessed is forgiveness of sin and being part of his kingdom. That and only that is a secret of happiness and nothing else. Do you understand? And when God resolves, and when God forgives our sins, and when our communion with God is restored, what do we become? We become people who hunger and thirst for righteousness. What has God designed us to be? He designed us to be righteous. Did you know that? You know what your, God's original design for you and me were, is, is? is so that we will be righteous. Why? Because we're made in the image of God, and God is righteous. And because we're made in his image, we too are designed to be righteous. 
And unless we, we know what righteousness is, and unless we live up what righteousness is, we will never be satisfied. God has designed you to be righteous. Because he is righteous. Now the question is, what is righteousness? Righteousness is the state of being correct. Right? The state of being right. The state of being upright. Righteousness me is, is you being is, is something being right, and sin is is being wrong. You get it? Righteousness is the state of being upright. And sin is a state of being crooked. Righteousness is a state of being correct. Sin is a state of being incorrect and wrong. You are created. I am created to live out a correct, to think correctly and act correctly and live out correctly. You and I are created to live upright life rather than crooked lives. You and I are created to live rightly, not wrongly. And unless we live correct, right, upright lives, we will never be satisfied. Because, we're li- because not living so is contrary to our design. Righteousness means two things. Number one, it not, re- not means, but reveals two things. Righteousness reveals, number one, the righteousness of God, which means God is always right. God is always correct. God is always upright because that is who he is. His people, and the second thing the righteousness reveals is his people are called to live correct, upright, right lives. And this is what it, and, and, and this be, and this is once again, this is our design, and we will always be hungry unless we start to recognize what righteousness is and live out what righteousness is. Do you know the righteousness of God? What are some of the examples of the righteousness of God? What are some of the right standards, correct standards of God, according to Matthew chapter five, um, according to Matthew chapter five, six and seven? Let's see some of the things that God talks about, right? God says, you have heard, right? He tells his, Jesus tells his listeners, you have heard from the religious leaders that the right thing to do is not to commit murder, right? Pharisees taught them, don't commit murder. That's the right thing to do. But Jesus says, no, 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 your righteousness has to go beyond that. It is just not enough just to not commit murder. What? You, you can't call someone a fool, a moron. You can't, you, can't, you, can't, you can't hate that person in your heart. If you call someone a fool, if you hate someone in your heart, Jesus is saying, you'll be judged. Because God is not just satisfied with us not committing murder. God also cares about whether we love other people, whether we respect other people. And hating them and calling them fools is a, is a violation of his standard. Do you understand? Jesus, Jesus says, you have heard, Pharisees taught you, don't commit adultery. But Jesus says, that's, yeah, not committing adultery, not having sex with someone that's not your spouse, that's wrong, that's true. But beyond that, even if, you lost, if, you lost, if you see women with lustful eyes, you're just as bad as violating that commandment, Jesus says. God's standard, God's righteousness is not only that you don't commit adultery, but even not to look at a woman lustfully. That's God's standard. Jesus says, you have heard, eye for an eye, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But Jesus said, when someone wrongs you, rather than taking revenge upon that person, God's standard is, when someone wrongs you, you turn the other cheek. When someone slaps you, you turn the other cheek so they can slap you the other one. God's standard is very different from our standard. Our standard is, if, if, I don't, if I do this, if I don't do this, then I am a righteous, good person. But God is saying, go beyond it. Look, yesterday, so I'm such a good guy. I want, I want to brag how good a guy I am, right? 
So what did I do? I worked long hours Monday through Friday. And what did I do? Out of the goodness of my heart and through the peer pressure of my firm, right? I volunteered at a, at a, at a, at a, at a, at a legal clinic yesterday, right? At Rockville Public Memorial Library. For eight hours I worked, right? From, from 8 a.m. to 3 p.m. Is that eight? 4 p.m. That's eight hours, right? Oh, I helped. Oh, I was good too, right? I helped a woman from Ethiopia who only has $200 in her bank account. Oh, I helped her. I helped a woman who was abandoned by her father and mother. Her father, I helped her, right? I helped all these people. I even tried to help a creepy dude, right? Just very creepy. And after doing good, what were you doing? Were you taking a nap, watching Netflix? I was helping someone, right? And compared to you, I feel good about myself because I did good. I helped the poor. I did social justice that a lot of Christians are talking about. Am I righteous because I did that? Do I satisfy God's definition of righteousness because I did that? What I did was good, right? God, I'm thanking God for the opportunity to do what I did yesterday. And, and when human beings look at what I did yesterday, they'll say, wow, that, what a good job, what a good guy. But God's definition of righteousness goes beyond that. It's good that I help the poor. Right? But do I truly love them and respect them It's good that we support missionaries. That's a good thing. But God's dim call for righteousness goes beyond just giving them money. It's to actually treat them as brothers and sisters. God's righteousness goes beyond human measure of righteousness. And unless we become and we become people of God's standard of righteousness, we will be hungry. A Christian, Jesus says, is someone who hungers and thirsts for the righteousness of God. Who are the people that are listening to this sermon? When Jesus tells these people, blessed are those who are hungry and thirst for righteousness, He's, he's giving a sermon like I'm giving a sermon to you. And who are the listeners of Jesus' sermons? They weren't the wealthy. They weren't the rich. They weren't the, they weren't the lawyers and CFOs and accountants and doctors. They were day laborers, farmers, who know what it means to be hungry. I could never figure it out. Being a farmer in Israel can't be a pleasant thing, Right? It's kind of dry and hot there, right? What do I know about farming, right? It can't be an easy thing to be a farmer in that land. So I think those people know what it means to be hungry. Knows what it, what it means to be hungry. They certainly know what it means to be thirsty, because that land is hot, like Disney World hot, right? Have you been to Disney World in June? I've been to Disney World in June. I thought I was in hell. It was so hot, right? I would imagine it's pretty hot in Israel too. And it's deserty, right? It's desert. And you get windstorms and sandstorms. And I don't know what about you, but if you get sand in your mouth, I think you become hungry, right? So they're living in hot, sandy place. And water is not as common as, as we just have to like turn the faucet and water comes up. They have to go to a well, stand in line, right? And water is, doesn't, isn't, like, isn't from Fiji, right, that, I, that I'm so fond of. Avion doesn't exist. You don't import water from France. The well water they have is grainy, leady, not very tasty. So if there's one thing these people know is what it means to be thirsty and hungry. Isn't it interesting? So in a crowd of thirsty, hungry people, Jesus says what? Your greatest need is not hunger and thirst for the things of this world. Isn't that interesting? It is hunger and thirst for righteousness. 
That's what he's saying to them. In your mind, you think what you really need is food, right? And water. And don't get me wrong. He's compassionate about with the crowds. And he, remember he fed the 5,000, right? He's compassionate with, the, with our physical needs, and that's true. But to the crowd, he's saying more than your physical needs is for you to be hungry and thirsty for righteousness. Right now, you come, you come this morning with certain hunger. Hunger for a career, hunger for a job, hunger for a boyfriend, girlfriend, hunger for kids, whatever it is. You come hungry. And Jesus is saying to you the same thing he's telling them. He's saying, what you think right now, you think what you need right now is a job, kids, getting married, but you're wrong, Jesus says. What you most need is to be hungry and thirsty for righteousness. You gotta have a very good, under- careful understanding, correct understanding of what Jesus, Jesus stands for. He doesn't necessarily stand for physical well being in this world. Someone asked him, hey, Jesus, let me follow you. Jesus says, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. You know what that means? If you follow me, you're going to be poor. You're going to be hungry. That's what Jesus said. So let's, let's get rid of this notion that his priority is the same as your priority. It's not. His priority for your life is for you to be righteous. Because he he knows it is only righteousness that will make you satisfied. Not in the things that you think you're hungry for. Are you hungry for righteousness this morning? Is your hunger to live correctly, to live rightly, to live upright? in conformity to the standards of God. Is that the primary hunger for you this morning? I think you're hungry because you're not hungry and thirsty for righteousness. You're hungry for something else. When Jesus says hunger and thirst for righteousness, he means a person who's hungry and thirsty, they're desperate. They know that's the primary need they have. Is living correctly, uprightly, truthfully. Is that the primary hunger that drives you? When I was in the Korean army, back in my army story, Korean, Korean guys who went to the Korean army always talk about Korean army. That's, what, that's the thing. So when I was in the Korean army, basic training. In the, in the, it, it was, uh, what is this? I went in sub- November, November? No, September. I went in September. You know, September, nights get cold. Afternoon gets, like, really hot. So they had us run through the mountains. Korea has a lot of mountains. Oh, my gosh. I wish I was in Israel. Because they don't have a lot. Do they have mountains in Israel? Oh, they do. In Korea, there's a lot of mountains in Israel. And, and the training ground was in the mountains. So you run around the mountains all day. And they don't give you water to toughen you, right? They're not the soft U.S. Army. Right? They give you water, and they have like hormone-controlling elements in the water so that, you know, you don't, strangely, I didn't think about girls at all, six weeks in the army, interesting. Anyway, they give you water, but it's not refreshing. It's like this warm water, but they don't give it to you regularly, so they make you thirsty. And so during the army training in the mountains, I went, like we, the, 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 the instructor led us through a little creek with water. I was so thirsty, and it, water looked so refreshing. The instructor says, don't drink it. It's contaminated because it's Korea. Of course it's contaminated. But it looked clean. He says, don't drink it. It's contaminated. So what did a good old PJ do when the instructor wasn't looking? I can't be all bougie. Ew, contaminated water. I didn't have that luxury because I was desperate for water. When you're thirsty for something, oh, you know that's the primary need. And Jesus says, if you're a Christian, your primary need is to live rightly, 
Live correctly. Live truthfully and uprightly. My friends, is that what is governing you? Is that, is that what's governing you? If not, we won't, like I said before, we won't be satisfied. Isn't it interesting? Jesus says, Jesus didn't say, if you're, blessed are those who hungry and thirsty for God, for they will be satisfied. He doesn't say that, right? He doesn't say, blessed are those who know God and he, they will be satisfied. He doesn't use the word God. He uses the word righteous. You know why he does that? Because he knows people have wrong ideas about who God is. Right? How do you know? Matthew chapter 7. Jesus says, many on the judgment day, many people on the last day will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, I did this for you. I preached for you. I drove out demons for you. I you know, did many miracles in your name, Lord. I did all these things for you. Lord, Lord, Adonai, Adonai, Yahweh, Yahweh, I did this for you. And Jesus says, I have no idea who you are. Get away from me, you evildoers. Why did he say that? When these people go to Jesus and say, look what I've done this for you, they really do believe they know God, and they really do believe they know Jesus. Right? Look what I've done for you, Jesus. I, I know you, and I've done these things for you, and you clearly you know me. And God, Jesus says, I have no idea who you are. Why? Because you didn't live righteously. In Jesus, Jesus doesn't use the word God here, according to John Piper. I don't want to plagiarize. Because people have a wrong idea, word God. People have a wrong idea about who God is. Therefore, Jesus is, is very specific in the word righteous because God is righteous. And it is only those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, and it is only those who live righteously, it is only those people who are the children of God. Not people who do things in his name, not people who do miracles in his name, not anyone. Jesus' word is, if you live righteously, that makes you a child of God. And nothing else. Because God is righteous. Did you ever see God that way? Did you ever see God as righteous? Or did you always just see him as love? Only as this non-threatening friend. No, it's clear over and over again, the Bible calls God righteous. And unless you know him that way, and unless you conform to, to his righteousness, you will be dissatisfied. It's do you get me? Is it complicated? Is it over? No, it's, you're smart. You get me, right? Now the question is, how does God make us righteous? How does he make us satisfied? That's the question. It is only those who are righteous can be called children of God. That's true. It is only who, people who live out righteously. It is only those people who can be satisfied. Then how does God make us righteous? And how does God satisfy us? You know the answer. Number one, what's the answer? What is the answer to most Bible study questions? It's either Jesus or pray, right? Or read the Bible. The answer of how to God make you righteous is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ makes you righteous. Because when you observe the standard of God, when you start to read, to read the Bible and understand what God defines as true, good, upright, and when you look at your heart, you will discover you are not true, good, and upright. You're crooked and wrong. I'm crooked and wrong. Learn what God has to say about righteousness and compare your heart to his definition. You will know that you're certainly not what he defines as righteous. Look, God says, once again, God says, not only should you not murder, you shouldn't hate someone in your heart. And you shouldn't call that person a fool. Have you hated someone this week? Have you called someone a fool? Especially all, all you road rage warriors out there? If you did, you violated his standard. Jesus says, don't, don't look at a woman lustfully because that's the same thing as adultery. Have any one of you looked at a woman lustfully this week? 
The more you know that God's standard, the more you know that you are not his standard, the more you will know that you are not righteous. Then how do you become righteous? Because it's because Jesus Christ, having known your unrighteousness, pay the, pay the price for your unrighteousness up on that tree. 2 Corinthians 5.22. What did it say in 2 Corinthians 5.22? What does it say? What does it say, Jay? It says, I want to read this carefully. First Corinthians chapter, I'm sorry, chapter 5, verse 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So according to Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, he who knew no sin, Jesus Christ, became sin. He who had no sin was charged with our sin, with my sin. So that because he was crushed on the cross, because he was charged with my sin, because he did that, I am righteous before the sight of God. Because of Jesus Christ's work on the cross, when God looks at me, he declares to me, declares me to be righteous, and he declares you to be righteous. Look, I love confessing my sin. I really do love it so. Right? I really do. And the more you walk your Christian life, the more you become aware of two things. Number one, you, the more you feel aware of your sin, and number two, the more you become aware of how horrible your sins are. It's true. And at times when I confess, I feel horrible and embarrassed. But, I, but, but when I realize what my sin really is and the damage that it caused... But when I realize that despite this thing, God considers me righteous and right in his sight, I am deeply joyous and satisfied. You know? There's nothing like that in the world. I say to the Lord, Lord, in me, there's a possibility of me being a murderer, right? A rapist, a swindler. I have that seed in me. And the way that I've acted clearly shows I have the possibility in me. And because of, I did certain things, I've damaged my wife and the people around me, and I deserve to die. But in your sight, because of Jesus Christ, pay the penalty of these things that I've done. I am made righteous in your sight. When you look at me, I am right. When you truly understand that, oh, you'll be satisfied. Perhaps you're not satisfied with the cross because you don't know the horribleness of your sin and you don't know the joy of being called right in the sight of God. Right? Look. Is this being recorded? No, right? Being recorded? Oh, man, I can't say. Okay, so generalities. Remember when you apply for a job, right? Theoretically speaking, no bearing on reality whatsoever. And you apply for a job. And remember you get the notice that you've been accepted by that job. The sheer joy in knowing that you've been accepted. Multiply it by infinity. The God of the universe accepts you as right. Having clearly known that you don't deserve to be right, but he calls you right because of Jesus Christ. There is no satisfaction deeper than that. Perhaps you're not hungry and thirsty for righteousness because you don't know what it means to be declared right in the sight of God. That's one way of God satisfying you. And another is, after God declares you righteous and right, you know what he does? He works out the pieces of your life so that you will become what he declared you to be. He declared you to be righteous. If, if, a, if, if God declares someone to be righteous, then for the entirety of that person's life, you know what God does? He, he transforms that person into the person of righteousness. God declares you to be righteous, and from that moment on, for the entirety of your life here, he will work the pieces of your life so that you can become what he declared you to be, which is righteous. It's true. It's strange. 
A person that God says, you're, you're righteous, he makes them righteous in this world. It's really weird. He changes your perception. He changes your values. He changes your behavior. He changes you so that you become, become more and more righteous. So that you can become more and more in line with what you're designed to be. How do I know God is working here? Because dudes who are, who, who, who are very critical of, of their wives are no longer critical. Dudes who are, who are into pornography are no longer into pornography. Dudes who are addicted to video games, I hope there's no one who's addicted to video games, are no longer addicted to video games. They're just, there's this righteous transformation because God has declared you to be right. And for the duration of, their, of your lives, God will see to it that you will become more and more righteous. And when you become more and more in line with God, what God has designed you to be, you become so satisfied. It's weird. Do you get me? Do you know what I'm talking about? When you start to see yourself grow and change, you're just so satisfying. Forget money or things or houses or something. Those things don't satisfy. Ugh. Maturity, righteousness makes you satisfied. It's true. What he promises is true. Those who are hungry and thirst for righteousness, you really will be satisfied. Are you satisfied this morning? If so, praise the Lord. If you're hungry, and thirsty. I think the solution is you need to know what righteousness is. And God needs you to trans- God needs to transform you into, in, into a person of righteousness. That is the only way that you will stop the longing in your hearts. Let us pray. I know you have priorities, and I know you know you have, you have hungers. I have hungers. But let's ask the Lord to make you see those hungers are not really hungry for the, those things per se, but those things are really hungry for God and his righteousness. Your, your hunger for a job is not really for that job, but what you think you can get out of that job, which is prestige, which is respect, which is to be acceptable. You're not really looking for, because you th- we're hungry for a job, for example. It's because we are hungry for what that job can seemingly, we think, can give us. But that's not gonna, they're not really going to give us what you think they're going to give you, because what you want is really God and his righteousness. Ask the Lord to make you properly see your hunger clearly. Ask the Lord to make you understand the great, satisfaction that comes when you know that you have been made righteous in the sight of God. You are, ne- you are by your birth, you are not righteous. God just naturally didn't accept you because you're a human being. God accepts you as a human being because Jesus Christ has died for you on the cross. And unless you personally truly know this, you will never be satisfied. Ask the Lord to give you a full-on persuasion of the righteous work that Jesus Christ has done for you so that you will be satisfied. Ask the Lord also to make you into a more correct, upright, right person in line with who he is. Make you not a person into just always just hungry, desirous person, but a person who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. Pray that prayer. Let us pray.